0: Good morning, good morning, Rabbi Breakfast is sponsored by Joseph R. Safra, dedicated in honor of his wife, Sarah Michelle bat Hashem, they should be zokhet in many, many years, together happily with Parnassah. So we have a, a, a very interesting, uh, what's it called? A very interesting development, if you will, in, in the parasha. Yaakov Avir was giving berachot to each one of his children. Now I want to focus just for one second on one of the berachot that he gives. He gives a berachot to Yisachar. And what does he call Yisachar? Yisachar Hamor Gareb. What a wonderful thing it is to call your son Hamor, right? I remember, I remember once, <laughs> one of my favorite stories of, of all time. You gotta love Israeli bus drivers. Israeli bus drivers are some of the most unflappable people in the world. They don't usually get, you know, nervous about anything, right? You know, they just kind of, they do their job. They've seen it all. They've heard it all. Anyway, so a friend of mine, <laughs> We're on this bus, and uh, and the guy tries to cut off the bus driver, and uh, the bus driver is getting, you know, he's cutting off a bus driver. with one of those accordion buses. Anyway, so the guy's pulled, you know, he's driving, driving. He cuts him off. The the bus driver. That's it. He's skipping bus stops, everything to catch up to this guy. Finally. He catches up to the guy. He spins the wheel, pins the car. (laughs) He has passengers on the bus. But he pins the car against the divider. So he's like, he's got it because the bus is an accordion. So he's like a V around the car. The car is trapped. Finally, the guy is terrified. He thinks he's going to kill him. So the bus driver opens the door, goes like this. Roll down your window. The guy rolls down his window, and he yells to him an insult that only an Israeli bus driver would shout. He says to him, Hamor. But that's not where he ends. He says, "Hamor <laughs> He curses out not the guy, but the driving instructor that gave him a driver's license. <laughs> that is the far-reaching, uh, you know, uh, element of a of a kalala, of an Israeli bus driver. Okay. So Yaakov <laughs> Avinu calling his son a hamor. What kind of thing is this? He says he's said hamor what did, why is he called Mahamor? Why? Because he saw that resting, that menucha, resting was good. And he bent down and he gave. He bent his shoulder, lizbol, uh, to take the weight. To take. To sh- literally, we would say, to shoulder the weight. And all the miterim ask a question. It sounds like a contradiction in terms. He saw that resting was good, so he jumped into working, Vayet If you want to rest, what do you do? You get yourself a beach chair, you click it all the way back, you know, the last three clicks, right? And then you relax, you put on your suntan lotion, and you forget the world. What does it mean? He saw that resting was good, so he started to work, Vayet Shechmol So the, one of the most beautiful pieces I ever saw was a piece written by Rabbi Rucham Levavitz. In his book Daat Torah, he was called the Mashgiach. He was the, the uh, spiritual leader of the Mir Yeshiva. And in his book Daat Torah, he writes he writes about it so beautiful. He says, you know, for most of us, we think that the idea of vacationing, of relaxing, is a very important idea. Why? It helps rejuvenate a person. Helps them be able to get back to themselves. It helps them. What's it called? Uh, 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 you know, recalibrate and come back energized to be able to do their work. And to a certain degree that's true. But to a certain degree, uh, Rabbi Rucham says, it accomplishes the exact opposite. He says people who are always going on vacation to relax, he says they can be compared to someone who sees a fire and wants to put it out, but doesn't have access to a cup of water. So what does he do? He grabs a bottle of gasoline and he pours it on the, on the fire, trying to put out the flames. Obviously, that's the craziest, stupidest thing you can imagine. Because although it's liquid, although it looks like something that's gonna put out the fire, in actual fact, what does it do? It's an accelerant, it's a fuel. Now the fire is so big it's ready to burn the house down. So too, he says, someone who feels stressed by work, stressed by their, by their family life, stressed by, what's it called, by their own personal failings or issues, what do they do? They go to vacation. They run away. What are they teaching themselves, Rabotai? Sometimes the answer is you run away. Your problems are still there because your problems were inside of you. They were your approach, your perspective to your family, your issues that you're going to bring back to the desk. When you sit back down, when you come back after the long weekend or after the, the holiday vacations, right? But sometimes it's not a matter of running away and coming back to the same problems. Rav Yerucham is describing a bigger fire. And I want to share with you a piece of wisdom that I saw in this idea, in the Torah, that really spoke to me. He says that when you go on vacation and you have 15 massages and you have a waiter bringing bring you pina coladas on the beach... He says not only are you not solving the problem, he says, you're exacerbating it. Because you're teaching your body to be only relaxed at a minimalistic level of stress. And that's not realistic. So if as an example, I go to the place and there's an elevator and everything is done for me and I get to the free breakfast and I have the guy massaging my feet and once uh, go, they're doing, they're fixing my laundry and they're resetting my bed, what am I teaching myself? That the only time I could actually be relaxed is when everything is done for me, I have no work, there's no reception, I can't get a phone call. You ever see people who are relaxed, they're having a good time? In one second, they get a phone call, they're out of their comfort zone. Even on vacation, I need to take this. They walk off, they take a phone call, they come back, they're fuming for another half hour. How that? you're used to taking business calls in your office all day long. Now one phone call got you ruffled, got your feathers ruffled. We teach ourselves, Rabbotai, to be people who, with one finger, someone could just push us off, they could knock us off keel. Th- that's what Rabbi Urucham is talking about. Says uh, uh, Yisachar, I see that menucha is tov, I see that being in a state of relaxation, being calm, being the word that we're really looking for here is, tranquil, tranquilo, okay? I see that that idea, that's what I want, says Yitzhakar. You know what my answer to that is? A person who works hard all the time, a person who is not trying to run away from difficult work. For that person, there's nothing really that, now he needs to work hard, no question. But he's never in a state where something happens where suddenly he feels like he's a fish out of water. Rabbi I want to share with you something amazing. What it looks like in a servant of God when someone is trying to do the right thing and they understand that the nature of hard work is not something to run away from. Rabbi Chaim Chrysworth was one of the great Gedolim who lived in Europe. He was the leader of his generation. In, uh, in in uh, in Antwerp and in Belgium, okay? I think that's where he lived. But either way, the point is, Rav Chaim cries with, from the day as a rabbi, he had to start raising some tzedakah. So he was famous. He raised money for a lot of the poor people of the city. From the day he started raising tzedakah, he refused not only to not fly first class, like we were talking back in the you know a couple of weeks ago, but he wouldn't take a cab you you'd come to New, you would come to New York City to raise money you'd see this great Sadiq with a long beard with his suitcases on the subway. he would travel on the subway and you had to argue with him to even help him with his suitcase. This was the, the type of person that he was to the point that he never he would treat, train himself never to spend money on himself because he God forbid didn't want anyone to think that he was spending the money of Sendakar on other things like it says Vihi tem a person needs to be. Clean in the eyes of God and in the eyes of man as well. So Rabbi there was once someone who saw the rabbi was suffering from something and he knew he needed a medication, but the medication was very expensive. He went out and he bought the medication at a price of the equivalent in Belgian uh, currency, the equivalent of $100. He came to the rabbi and he says, I got you the medicine. I wanted the rabbi to feel better. Rabbi said, I can't believe it so expensive, how do you go do that? Why are you spending all this money? It's so unnecessary, da 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 da, da. And the guy thought that the reason is because Rabbi Kreiser didn't have, didn't have the money to pay for it. He says, no, no, don't worry, I'll pay for it. The rabbi says, no, I, I'm more than happy to pay for it. But I just, I can't believe, it. he goes on and on. While he's standing, there's a knock at the door. Who comes in? A poor man, he starts pouring out his heart about his situation, about his family, about his this. Rabbi Chaim reaches into his pocket, he pulls out of his own personal money, that he gives the poor guy. It wasn't about the money Bechlel. It was about the fact that he made a decision when he started to do this job, that this is the way he was gonna live his life. Now, as I said last time, The point of that decision, I'm not arguing that that's the right way to do it, the wrong way to do it, sometimes it's better, as I said that you have a guy who's going to do one day of focused fundraising, that's going to raise all the money in the year, and the difference will be whether he's awake or asleep let let the guy fly in first class a hundred times over, so he'll come and he'll make a million dollars or ten million dollars in New York City, you know, fundraising for his cause, because he was fresh, you know, and then let him go back, I'm not, that's not my point here, my point here is that when someone makes a decision about what it is that he needs to do and what it is that he's supposed to do to be able to follow through on that decision, even if it's difficult, even if you're old, even if it hurts, even if you're schlepping a suitcase. What a wonderful thing, what a wonderful thing that is. I want to share with you a beautiful uh, story, the Hafez Chaim. Hafez Chaim once met a young man who, when he was studying in Yeshiva, the guy would learn 10 hours straight. He was uh, known as someone who uh, had a, a tremendous capacity and propensity to sit and learn without stopping, without, break, without breaking. The guy was like, the same way you have a workaholic like this, you have a workaholic like that. The Hafez Chaim, uh, he, he heard that this, there was a rabbi who met this young man at a certain point in his life. He had to leave his kollel learning. His wife didn't have paranasai, he'd take care of his children, so he went to work. Anyway, the rabbi comes to him, he says, listen, I'm hearing something disturbing, that this you, someone who was such a matmeed, spent so much time studying, You know, all of a sudden, now you're working, you're not learning at all. He says, spend a little time. Take out a or learn 10 minutes. You know, you can't not learn at all. The rabbi says to the rabbi, rabbi, when I was in yeshiva, I would study 10 hours without taking a break. Now I'm going to sit and learn for three minutes. What's the point? He says, let me work as hard as I can until I've made the money for my family. He says, then I'm going to quit, go back to yeshiva and study 10 hours a day. The rabbi said to him, no, that's not how it works. Now, some of you are thinking, why? Because who knows if the guy's ever gonna make it back. Maybe he'll never make it back. Maybe, you know, he'll get distracted. Maybe he'll stop loving, you know, learning Torah. Maybe, that's not the point. The Hafez Chaim gave a mashal. He says, imagine somebody uh, who's who's not well. And the doctor tells him, you know, he has to be very careful for his body temperature. You know, not to uh, go into a steam room or not to be out in heat or be in a jacuzzi. Anyway, one day he had that. he's feeling a little bit sore. He says, you know what? I'm going to go into the, into the steam room for a few minutes. He goes into the steam room and his heart rate and his body temperature skyrockets. Within a few seconds, a few minutes even of being in that heat, he can feel like he can't breathe and his body's overheating. So he runs outside and he knows there's a big freezing cold plunge pool. He's going to jump in, you know, the one that takes your breath away. But as he gets there, he sees a big sign. It says... Out of service. He says, men are out of service. It's a a, a, a bit with water in it. He unchains the thing. He goes running to the chain. There's no water in it. There's no water. He comes running outside. And the guy is red like a beet, like a tomato. He looks like he's about to pass out. And one of the guys says to him, sir. He says, I have a bucket of cold water. I see you look very hot like you're overeating. Would you like me to pour it on you? The guy says, no, no. He goes, I only want to go into a pool I can dunk my whole body in. The guy says to him, Dib, the pit with the cold water, we only have one, and it's closed. It's not available, it's not accessible. I have this, this will cool you down too. Not as good, but it's something. The guy said, no. Meanwhile, he faints, Add that, and he dies. Because he was stubborn. Said the Hafez Chaim, the pit right now, to be completely immersed in Torah, you don't have that opportunity, you don't have that option. Really, all of us, that's really what we should be doing. Studying Torah, doing mitzvot, all day long, completely immersed, but, the realities of the world dictate, we need to take care of our businesses, we need to buy things for our children, we need to send them to school, we need to have food and health care and Mabarif, all the things that we need. So we can't do that all day long. That doesn't mean that just because <laughs> you can't go full immersion, you're not going to sprinkle some water on you, you know, to be able to bring you back to life, okay? So that, uh, this idea of Vayar tof, vayet he bent his shoulder down um, to what's it called? To, to carry the weight. And I love pointing this out. Who's loading the... If Yisachar is the donkey in this mashal, who's loading the donkey? Somebody else, right? Someone else is loading the donkey. Maybe it's Yaakov as his teacher, maybe it's his rabbi. Someone's putting the weight on top of him. Like you guys are listening to the class. None of you had to prepare this class. I prepared the class. So you wanna, why does, why does Yisachar need to bend his shoulder? And the answer is because oftentimes when a person is looking to, looking to learn Torah, it's not about the teacher. The teacher might be teaching in his in a synagogue, but maybe the person's not there. They can't make it, so it, it requires an effort on behalf of the person. You guys maybe feel rabbi is going on. I'm a little bit late. I need to run. This is your effort. This is your vayet shikmol lizbol. This is your you putting your bit in to be able to shoulder to be able to shoulder some of the weight. Rabbi Tag, I just want to end with this idea. The, the Pasuk tells us that when, your, that when Yaakov saw that his son was like this, that he was putting in this extra effort, this attempt to do something that was relevant to him on his level, and he blesses him to be the, 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 uh, the bringer of Torah to the Jewish people. This idea is not something which was limited to Yaakov Avinu in his time. It's something which is true about each and every one of us. In, uh, in, in, in our own way. And I, 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 can't, I could not say this better than Rabbi Friend said it in the Siyum HaShas. He said, you know, everybody reads about finishing a, a whole of Shas. A guy says to himself, you know, how can I do that? It's too much for me. I can't. It's too much. I can't, I can't, I can't. At the same time, Rabbi Otay, it's so important to recognize that Boreo Olam is not looking for the whole mikveh from us if that is inaccessible to us. I remember reading the most magnificent story, and this is the idea I want to leave you with. There was a young man, his name was Yaakov, he decided he wanted to become a sofer, a ritual scribe, writes Sefer Torah. Now, I don't know if you know how long it takes to write Sefer Torah. That is a major, major, major undertaking. It can take months and months and months. Some people, if they're writing it on the side, it can take them years. It's very, very long time, which is why it's very expensive to buy. But a new sofer, they don't begin practicing on a what's it called on a on a uh sefer torah what's the first thing they write does anyone know they write megila megila is small the laws are not as strict as the laws in other in other cases like uh in mezuzah tefillin and sefer torah okay so they start with uh, writing the megila so he writes a megila anyway he finally finishes it takes him a long time he you know, he finishes he looks at his product it's not as straight, the lines, the letters, some of the letters are bigger, some of the letters are smaller, they don't end at the same part on the line exactly, but you know what, he's finished, he figures, you know what, let me see if I can sell it, if I can make some money on all this effort. He takes it to a few different people, everybody looks at it, it looks like an amateur wrote the Megillah, nobody wants to buy it. Anyway, had that. the guy's father feels bad for him, he says, you know what, Rohi, I'll buy it from you. Now even though Yaakov, this guy, the son, he knows, that his father's buying it to make him feel better. Still, i say, bottom line, he's made some uh, nadi, he's made some flus because uh, uh, because he put in all the effort, and he feels a little, he feels better about himself. Listen to this, Rabboi. The father now has a megillah; he has no need for. So he calls up a local Judaica you know, guy who's uh, sorry, a Judeka guy who's famous for selling megillah. He says, "I know you're in town before Purim, and you're showing him megillah to everybody." He says, do me a favor. Just as a favor, take it with you. If you find someone to sell it to, sell it to them. You know, whatever you can make on it is fine. Anyway, the guy has this Megillah, the Hazit Megillah, along with these magnificent pieces of uh, art from the best sofremen in Israel. Anyway, he goes to the house of a very wealthy gentleman and he rolls out the first Megillah. The guy says, nah. Second Megillah, nah. Third Megillah, fourth Megillah, nah. He sees the guy, the wealthy guy, says, I see you have one Megillah in the bag. You didn't even take it out. He goes, oh no, that one's not for you. He says, look, you showed me all the rest of the ones that you have. Show me the one you're holding back. He's thinking in his brain, that's the special one. Right, that's me always in the etrog store. The guy's like, here's our etrogim. I was like, I don't want to see the ones you put out. Show me the one under the desk. Like, pick up the carpet. <laughs> what do you have in your pocket? You know what I mean? That's what you always want to see. I'm thinking the guy has the best in the day. Throw he's putting it aside for his grandmother. You know, etc. cetera, et cetera. Okay, listen to this. So the guy says, give me the, he goes, give me that Mickey. He goes, I'm telling you, you don't want it. He goes, he goes, just human me. He opens up the Mickey. He takes one, look at it, big smile on his face. He goes, this is the one I want. I'll give you two, two and a half grand for it. The guy says, uh, Alamax hold, <laughs> right? He says, 100%, you got it, no problem. So but he says, but could I ask you a question? He goes, after I showed you the ones before, why did you settle on this? And listen to what the man said. He said, you know, the Megillah, the ones you showed me before, every letter is perfect. It looks magnificent, not a single mistake, not a hairline, everything is, he goes, it looks so perfect. It looks like it was done by a computer. The reason why I'm paying all this money is because I want to see a Megillah that was written by hand. None of those look like they were written by hand, right? They looked like they were done on a laser printer in uh, Kinko's, right? If those still exist, right? This one, he says, I could see that it was written by some guy, you know, struggling in his basement. You know what I mean? This is the one that I want, okay? I I, I remember reading this and I thought to myself, unbelievable. That wealthy man who bought the Megillah, you you know who he's like? He's just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu. God looks at the Torah of a guy who's a genius, sitting there like this, studying one book after the next, flying through it, no problems, understands every word of the Gemara, every word of Rashi, Tosafot, this, that, the Marsha, Rab Chaim, Rab Baruch Ber, everything. He gets it like this, no problem. God says to him, I already have AI. I already have computers in my world that are capable of flying through a million different computations in a second. God doesn't want easy, perfect, beautiful learning. God wants human learning. The reason why it was so beautiful was because it looked human. What Akadosh Baruch Hu wants to see from Yisachar is not that he's carrying the Torah. You know why? Because if Sahar and this Mashal is the Hamor, what is the nature of a Hamor to do? The nature of the Hamor is, it carries. In fact, that's why they took a donkey and a horse and they splice them together to create this uh, you know there's this mule that you know each one has its own item each one has its own thing and that's what they do so in each case an animal has a natural proclivity of what it's capable of doing so Yisachar, he's carrying the weight what does he need to bend the shoulder for the answer is because you know where the effort was was in the bending of the shoulder that was the one part that isn't natural for the Hamor. That was the one part that he had to put in the extra effort. Rabutai, for Talmid Chacham, that loves to study, that you know, he gets pleasure only from Torah. He sits there and everything flows and everything's easy. For Bore Olam, do you know what the most beautiful Torah learning of a, of a person like? When the guy has a cold. That's when Hashem loves his Torah learning. When the guy, when that sadiq, when that tamik hacham gets to a piece in Torah he doesn't understand and he's trying and he thinks he has a thing but he doesn't like it so much, he talks over with this one, talks over with that, bothers him. It bothers him. That's why in, in the expression of chazal, the word for a question in the Gemara is kushia. You know why? Because it's kasheh. It's difficult not to understand it. Rabotei, it's all about the difficulty. So whatever it is that you're studying, and whatever it is that you're learning, and whatever it is that you're doing in the world of Torah and mitzvot, if it's easy, you're not doing it right. You're not bending the shoulder enough. The guy who goes to the gym and lifts the same thing every day is never gonna grow in his muscle size. It just doesn't work that way. After you get to a certain stage and it's easy, you need to go up a weight. You need to do more reps. You need to do something that helps the person develop. That's the idea of Vayar Menucha kitob. He saw that Menucha, that being in a state of, uh, of bliss, of tranquility, of equilibrium, was beautiful. So he said to himself, in order to manage that state of equilibrium, what do I need to do? Vayet Shechemo Lechvod. Imagine, Rabotai, if I told you, I'll give you $1,000, if you could stay right on the middle stair of my house. You think, this guy's crazy. Stay in the middle stair of my house? Yeah, but you gotta stay there for five hours. The guy says, oh, that's easy. He climbs up the stairs, he gets on the middle stair, he says, this is the easiest money I've ever made in my life. And then I smile, a wicked smile, and I flip a switch, and because I'm a weirdo, in my house, the stairs of my house are actually an escalator. (laughs) All of a sudden, the guy is sitting there in the middle stair, he sees himself. Anyway, he runs back up to the middle stair. that is the life of a developing person in Torah and mitzvot If you're not climbing, you're not in the middle stair anymore. You're not where you need to be. That is the beauty of Vayet Shechemo bo Baruch Adonai